Are you fed up with the gay dating scene? And are you exhausted trying to find a decent man through bars, clubs, and dating apps? Listen, I hear you. Dating in this day and age can be exhausting. But the truth is, your dream man is out there and he is waiting for you. My name is Frank Macri and I've mentored thousands of single gay men from around the world. So how do you attract lasting love no matter your age or appearance? That is the question and this podcast will give you the answer. Welcome to Gay Dating Secrets. Let's get started. Hello, everybody. I hope that you are having a great day. I am so excited for this episode. It's very special because we have a wonderful guest who's going to be joining us today. And uh, he is someone that I, I just, our paths crossed here in Seattle. His name's Scott Verrett, and he does, uh, he does leadership coaching in the city. But he also does a peer group. He leads peer groups for uh, for gay men, and he's been doing them for 25 plus years now. And I, I, when I met Scott and I started this podcast, I just thought, oh my gosh, there's so much value and wisdom in what he shares and the stories that he has. So uh, I'm very, very, very excited and delighted to be introducing Scott Verrett to today's episode. And I think if you really listen closely, uh, gay men listening, you will take away some really powerful insights and nuggets uh, on how to show up more mindfully, more consciously in your life. So without further ado, welcome officially to the Gay Dating Secrets podcast, Scott. Thank you. I, I really appreciate you inviting me to participate. And just for the listeners out there, I just want to share, I'm also really excited about this. Um, I love the fact that our mutual friend, Anthony, introduced us he had a really good insight because the minute we met we hit it off famously and i think we talked four hours the first time we got together and uh so it's been it's been a joy getting to know you even though we've only known each other for a short period of time yes and whenever we meet it's kind of funny because we're i feel like there's so many light bulb moments and we now we both bring notepads with each other because we're writing down oh my gosh i gotta remember that or that's so inspiring or that's a nugget of wisdom right there so I said, let's just turn on this this uh, recording and also inspire the hundreds of listeners that we now have here on the show. So uh, Scott, I, I want to start just, uh, I know that you have been able to hear the stories of hundreds and maybe even thousands of, of, thousands. Thousands of gay men, and I'm sure you've been able to weave together themes. And uh, I mean, you've talked to gay men of all ages, of all backgrounds, and uh and right now, I know that you lead a group on particularly, it's, it's gay male sexuality and relationships. That is the focus. That's correct. Which is so fitting for the listeners here that are maybe looking for some support, guidance, wisdom, inspiration when it comes to relationships. Um, so can you, can you just talk about, uh, maybe just tell us a little bit more about what are some of the themes or things that you notice emerge within that group? Um, well, first, let me set the stage a little bit. This is a drop-in group, so people are not obligated to be there. They just come when they can. And so the group changes from week to week, and every week is different. The, 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 the combination of ingredients of who's there and what they bring changes the conversation in some really profound ways. So it can be really fascinating. One week it can be something that, and I don't mean this to be pejorative, but it can be very mundane, like 
you know, I had a big fight with my mom this week and our topic wound up be relationships with parents. But then other weeks it might be like my boyfriend wants me to perform a very specific sex act on him and I'm really uncomfortable with that. And we end up having an entire conversation about all of the different intimate ways that we connect as gay men and what we feel comfortable with and what we don't and how do we talk to our partners about that. And so you never know where the conversation's going to go. It's, 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 it's in a journey and I always look forward every Thursday night to seeing where it's going to go. Yeah. So... That's awesome. Um, and it's just so needed. I mean, before we recorded, you said that a lot of gay men, it's not that they necessarily go to these peer group support meetings because they're they're broken or there's something wrong with them. It's because they just want to be in a group environment that's not necessarily a bar. They exactly. want to be around uh, other men and uh, trained facilitators like you that can support their emotional journeys. Exactly. That's exactly right. And, you know, when, in answer to your question about, like, themes of what I see or hear, um, what I see is a craving of people that want to be heard and understood. They may, they may not be lonely. They may be in a relationship, you know. They, they may have plenty of people in their lives, but there's still an empty spot inside of them that is that they're craving to fill, and that's having a place where they can feel completely unjudged, where they can just show up fully as themselves and talk about what, what's concerning them, what delights them, you know, and, and, and share with other men in the group that are having similar kinds of thoughts so that people realize that they're not alone. You know, I'm not the only one that's feeling this way. You know, and I don't need to feel embarrassed because I have a particular sexual interest or I don't need to feel ashamed because of my body image or I don't need, you know. And so having that ability to relate to one another and, and because the group ground rules are we just speak from our own experience, it's not about agreement. It, there, it doesn't matter if the people in the group agree at all. You know, the example I always give when I meet people to sort of screen before they join the group is that if one person says, you know, I really don't like using condoms, you know, because, you know, I just like the feeling of, you know, feeling another person's body. And it's not okay in the group to say, well, that's really bad or that's really dangerous or you're not taking care of yourself. That's a judgment. Yeah. What the appropriate response is to use an I statement and say, you know, I really like using condoms and here are the reasons that I like using condoms. So I just use that as a really simple example. Mm -hmm. but. You know, people come to the group thinking that there's there's implicit ex, uh, expectation that, that has to be about agreement. It's not about agreement. It's about understanding. Mm -hmm. It's about understanding one another, regardless of our differences of opinion and our different life experiences mm -hmm. and our different where we're going on our journeys. It, it really doesn't, you know, the, it, it's just the journey. Mm -hmm. There's a concept that you and I have talked about, and it's this idea of unconditional positive regard. And I know that it's something that you you preach, you live by. So can you, I think it goes really well into this idea and understanding of acceptance and non-judgment. So can you tell us about uh, what does unconditional positive regard mean? What, what does it look like? Unconditional positive regard is approaching every single person with the belief that they're doing the very best that they know how to do in any given situation and not having any preconceived expectations, not judging where they're at, not judging how well they're doing what they're doing, mm -hmm. but just having that spirit of wanting to understand people and see the world through their eyes mm -hmm. without any, any judgment, without any, any sort of preconceived notion that it should look a certain way. Mm -hmm. and, and, and it's not about what I say or do, it's, it's a spirit. It's a, 
it's it's a it's a vibe. I, I, I don't always like that word vibe, but um, I can't think of another synonym right now. But it's it's creating this safe container that's filled with this spirit of welcoming spirit, welcoming well, a welcoming, uh, nurturing environment where people can own who they are fully and feel good about who they are fully and without fear that someone else is going to be judging them. Mm. And I love that when it when it comes to your own life, like how in a world that we live in, especially in the gay community where there is so much judgment, uh, there's so much judgment within our community. How do you go about your life holding this unconditional positive regard when there's judgment being thrown everywhere? Well, let me think about how I'm going to answer that. So first of all, I love the group because the group helps keep me honest because I receive unconditional positive regard back from my group members. And so it's very nurturing for me. And when I tell friends that I've been doing this for so many years, they say, well, doesn't that get old? Aren't you tired? And I said, no, it, it, it's one of the things that keeps me very centered and very sane. Um, you know, left to my own devices in my own life, you know, I'm not going to lie, you know, I'm human and, you know, I can, I can start to get down on myself. I can start to get caught up in like judgments about, you know, body image or age or all the things that we deal with as gay men, you know, because there are a lot of expectations and judgments, but, um, the, 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 the wonderful thing about having wisdom and many years of doing this kind of work, plus my educational background in psychology and the kind of work I do in my professional life where I'm doing leadership coaching, is that I have got the ability, I've cultivated that ability to catch myself. You know, I don't let myself get into an endless spiral of negativity and self-judgment. I can do it for a little while. Everybody enjoys a pity party once in a while. But then it's like, okay, enough of that, you know? And I'm able to step back and maintain that perspective of sort of observing my life from outside of my body. There's a book by Michael Singer called The, Un um, the Untethered Soul, which I love. And I've recommended it, I think, to you. And, and this, this notion he presents that the very fact that we can notice ourselves having these thoughts and notice the voices in our head means that that's, those voices are not us. Mm -hmm. Our, our essence is sitting further back in our seat of consciousness. And so I try to remember that. So when I'm hearing these voices in my head judging me, I can remind myself, you know, I don't have to listen to those voices. Those voices are going to be there regardless of whether I pay attention to it or not. You know, as human beings, we all have those voices. And we, there's not a ma magic mechanism to shut them off. But what we have control over is how do we react to them. Mm -hmm. we, can't, we can't stop them, but we can choose to not listen to them. We can choose to not let them control our lives. Mm -hmm. I think this is so important, just that idea of having this seat of consciousness, of uh, like recognizing, yes, we're all human, we have judgments. The difference is being able to have that observer that's watching over your judgments and uh, knowing how to shift the stories or release the release the need to have those judgments so that way you could come from this place of acceptance. Yeah, ab absolutely. And I would add another word, observer mixed with a spirit of pure inquiry. Remaining curious is one of the best things that I can think of. To, to keep myself honest and to maintain a positive attitude is if I'm curious about the world and if I'm curious about other people in a very sincere way, you know, with no hidden agendas, with no judgments, that, that goes so far towards having that unconditional positive regard and having unconditional interactions with people, no matter how different they might be from me. 
Yeah, so let's let's put this into a practical example. Uh, I imagine a lot of our listeners, they're, a lot of them are very frustrated dating and they experience, they perhaps experience rejection from, from gay men and uh, maybe it's that they don't feel that they're a certain body type or they don't feel that they have uh, maybe a certain amount of income or whatever it might be, there's, there's, or that they're the right age, right? So uh, if someone is in that experience and they're feeling judgment, uh, what would it look like to step into this observer self, the inquiry type of self? How would that look? Well, this seems like a good entree for the story I've told you <laughs> about. Um, I, had, I had been putting a lot of effort into going on a lot of coffee dates because I'm, I'm one of those guys that likes to meet people ahead of time and get to know them. I'm not just a you know, jump in the sack kind of guy. I'm just going to be honest. That's just not how I'm wired. And so um, I, went on a, I went on many, many uh, coffee dates and they always just were one coffee date and they never seemed to go anywhere. And, and, you know, I, I won't lie, you know, I felt a certain amount of rejection because it was like, well, why doesn't this guy that seemed really nice and like it seemed like we had a good connection, why did they not want to get together again? Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> so after a period of time, I decided, my little re research brain decided that I'm going to find out. So I, I reached out to uh, many of these guys that I'd gone on these single dates with, and I was very clear. I, you know, I didn't want to come across like I was being creepy or a stalker. Or, you know, I, just, I just told them, I said, you know, I really sincerely, this goes back to that authenticity and that pure inquiry. It's just like, I really, really want to understand what the world looks like through your eyes and what, what happened when we met. And what was it that made you decide that you didn't want to have a second date? And, you know, and I learned some really valuable information. I found out that, you know, I'm someone who can be perceived as very intense. I, I ask a lot of questions, even on a first coffee date. You know, I want to know, like, you know, where are you from? And, you know, what's your favorite color? <laughs> you know, and, you know, I mean, I just, I'm just an inquisitive person. And, and for a lot of guys, that's a little too intense. You know, they, they mostly just want to see, is there any sort of chemistry? You know, is there enough chemistry for us to get together for a second date? And so, you know, um, so I would not hold myself up as a, a standard bearer for successful <laughs> dating <laughs> techniques, but, but I will hold myself up as someone that, you know, um, I didn't take it personally. I just, I wanted to understand what was happening and so that I could make a choice. It wasn't to change myself. Yes. It was to understand myself mm -hmm. and understand who I am and how I come across. And then I, that, that empowers me to make choices for myself. Maybe I do change how I want to interact in a coffee date. You know, maybe I, maybe I can make the choice to ask less questions. But this gives me power. Otherwise, without this information that I gathered, I'm just operating on pure assumption. You know, and I could assume they didn't think I was handsome or that they thought I didn't have a thin enough body or that I didn't work out at the gym enough or whatever. I mean, and there's nothing more dangerous in the world than operating based on assumptions, in my opinion. And that goes in my professional work too. That's a conversation I have all the time is the danger of assumptions. You know, you've got to take the time to ask questions and listen with an open mind, with unconditional positive regard to see what the world looks like through other people's eyes. Mm. I love that story so much. And I've heard it many times before. And I think there's so much to learn from that. If, if someone's going through date after date and just wondering why are all these guys jerks or why are they ghosting me or not wanting to see me again, rather than go to judgment, go to curiosity. And you had the, uh, you had the, 
desire to actually, rather than judge, to inquire. Like, I'm just curious, what was your experience of me? And I, what I love about that is you didn't come from a place of I'm not good enough and I need to fix something about me to that, so I could fit into someone else's image of who I should be. That's not what you did at all. You were coming from a place of, hmm, I'm just curious, what was your experience? Or uh, like you were gathering information like a detective, it's neutral. Yep. You just run it by your truth and you keep what lands, you release what doesn't, and you continue on on your dating journey. Precisely. With more awareness, with more consciousness, with more curiosity, with more, with more uh, self-love and unconditional positive regard. And a side benefit of that process was like one of the guys that it didn't work out for us to date, but in fact, he met somebody else, but we liked each other so much that it cultivated a friendship. And we get together and have coffee, we take walks, you know, he tells you about what's going on in his life, you know, so, so that was just frosting on the cake that in addition to, you know, better understanding where everybody was coming from, you know, it gave me a chance to reconnect with some of these people, not in a manipulative way, just in a very honest way sincere way yeah I, I think it, it could be called the date debrief it's like I mean really if someone if even just 10% of gay men would just just embrace this one action the whole gay community would be revolutionized really it's one little step to take uh, and it leads to so much trans transformation imagine if the next time you went on a date and it didn't work out you said you know what I'm just really curious. What what was that like for you? You know, exactly. just let's just let's just debrief how we showed up on this date without trying to change each other, manipulate each other, control each other, just out of like like just out of the sake of learning yes. and growing. Yes, but and I just can't put a fine enough point on that. It you it's got to be done in a spirit of absolute pure inquiry. Yeah. If it comes across with any sense of a retaliation yeah. or manipulation or hidden agenda it's not going to work mm -hmm. that that that's not going to work and yep. so i totally agree with what you just said it, it it's got to be because you truly want to understand mm -hmm. it's all about having a, a desire to understand and and i go back to inquisitiveness i just think having an inquisitive nature is the most healthy thing in this world you know because there's mm -hmm. so much craziest craziness going on you know in politics in dating in work in economy and technology you know, but if you can remain inquisitive and instead of getting reactionary and or reactive and getting angry mm -hmm. is to just say, you know, I want to understand what's going on. I want to understand why I feel the way I do about what's going on. I want to understand why other people seem to like things that I don't like, you know, you know, just that desire to continue to inform oneself. I think is a is a very healthy life skill. Mm. I love it. One of the things in the the dating guide for mature gay men that's that's uh, covered is when we talk about why do we date. You're not dating to really find someone. You're dating to learn more about who you are and what you want. It's it's a it's a playground to explore and to be curious. And if if or when you just happen to find someone that is going to journey, join you on that journey, that's like the bonus on top of it all. Yeah, exactly. And it comes from the pro the process of being inquisitive, being curious. Yes, absolutely. You know, this this reminds me of my meeting my very first partner. And um, it, when I first met him, I was very new out. I'd only been out like three weeks or four weeks, and I had been going to this one country western gay bar in Long Beach, California, because I like country western music and I might have a problem with shoes and boots. <laughs> but uh, but anyways, um, and 
I, I met this very, very nice man, and he and I just started meeting to just have breakfast and like there was no pressure and you know he was just offering kind wisdom about like don't rush into things take you know take time you know you know trust trust your gut you know and and so I so valued him approaching me with that same sort of unconditional positive regard like he wasn't judging me he wasn't trying to push me into anything he wanted to just understand me and accept me for who I was and mm. and it felt so good to be with that and so I had other I had other men back then I was a, a, a more of a <laughs> a tasty morsel and uh, <laughs> I had I had other guys that were very attractive that were very interested in me but there was something so special about my partner because of who he was and the relationship with and you know to be, I'll be perfectly honest it was not a highly sexual relationship but it's the most fulfilling relationship I've ever had in my entire life because of mm. how we loved each other and how we communicated with each other and both of us wanted nothing more than to just be there for the other person in any way that we could and to accept them for who they were we weren't ever trying to change each other and and I and to this day I haven't found anything that quite matches that experience. But so you know, in my mind, I'm not necessarily, you know, that that's the danger of having too much of a singular focus on well, I'm looking for hot sex or I'm looking for someone with a great body. You know, that changes over time. You know, bodies don't stay the same over time. Oh, you know, so the, the 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 sexual drive or the sexual chemistry can wear off over time. Yeah. But the essence of a kind person with that kind of a spirit and that kind of nature is something that is is long-lasting and and uh -huh. my partner was 10 years older than i was mm -hmm. so you know we had this age difference and you know but i made a very conscious choice that it, i knew what i knew what i wanted it to feel like not what it was going to look like but i knew what i wanted it to feel like mm, i love that and it's so beautiful because you just hit on something so huge and i was just scribbling it down i already have a whole page of notes filled out and it was that your the physical we talk a lot in in other episodes about physical versus energetic attraction and you just said so beautifully that the physical your physical desires and what you find sexy and hot changes but what always remains is you want to be understood we all as humans we're seeking out relationships where we can be understood and accepted for who we are yep. and that's what made that relationship it sounds yep. like so beautiful so special so Absolutely. amazing and successful and we laughed at each other's quirks we didn't judge or get irritated by each other's quirks you know we we were playful with it you know but underlying it was just that un unconditional acceptance of each other you know, he would he would make fun because I you know I I've been moisturizing my whole life. You know, people say, "Oh, you're so lucky. You have such nice skin in your face." Well, I've been moisturizing since I was quite young, and and so he used to say, "Are we putting our potion on our face this morning?" You know, he would just he, you know, and it was and he'd have this cute devilish little smile when he'd say it. He he loved to tease me about that kind of stuff, and I would tease him about other things that, that were part of him, but you know, the teasing had no meanness to it at all. It was a way of expressing love. Mm -hmm. Our teasing was really an expression of love. Mm. That's, that's so sweet, I love that. So um, can you take us a little bit further into that, into that relationship and uh, maybe towards more of the, uh, the end stages yeah. of the relationship? Well, that was, yeah, that was quite an interesting journey for me, given that it was particularly since it was my first relationship and I was you know, somewhat older even when I came out, but um, I, I, I have to kind of go forward to come back. Mm -hmm. 
I had no awareness that my partner was actually ill with HIV when I met him. He, he knew, but he didn't let me know. And that was a secret he kept until the last 10 months is when I finally found out. So that was quite a shocker, <laughs> to put it mildly. But um, over the course of the relationship, as things started to happen, um, he, he started to have these feelings of like guilt or shame that he was holding me back. Like that, you know, this was not fair to me. This was, I'm just starting my life as a gay man. And, you know, and, I, and now I'm in, I'm in this sort of caretaker role for him as his health was starting to decline. And this was back in 1993 when he actually passed. And, and, and so one day he, he said to me very seriously, he says, you should go out and meet somebody else. This isn't fair for you. And I got extremely stern with him. And I only said it once. And I told him I was only going to say it once. I said, I'm not here because I have to be here because I want to be here, mm. because I love you. And I said, I don't ever want to hear you bring this up again. <laughs> and, and, and he never did. And, you know, and, but that's, that's what it takes when you love somebody too. Mm. You know, you know it, it, if you're on the journey together, you're for, there for the entire journey and all the aspects of the journey. Mm. You don't cherry pick just the, the easy parts or the mm. sweet parts, you know? And, um, and, I, and I was there with him in some very difficult situations where I think I told you, well, I, I know I just told you the story a little bit earlier before we started recording about one time he was very weak and he collapsed on the stairs mm. and couldn't get up. And I was more concerned about preserving his dignity than anything else. And so I just, I didn't act like it was something strange. I didn't panic. I didn't say, oh my God. I just, I said, you know, hey Jim, you know, are you comfortable laying there for a while? Would you like to just sort of stay there? Or, you know, do you want to have me help you upstairs? Whatever, you know, you let me know what works for you. And he said, no, I think I want to just lay here. And so I just went about my business, you know, around the house. You know, I, it was very deliberate about preserving his dignity and not having him feel embarrassed about what he was going through. That was the biggest gift that I could give to him. You know, I couldn't, I couldn't make him well. I couldn't solve the ultimate outcome, but I could preserve the, the, that unconditional love that we had in our relationship. And part of that unconditional love is maintaining and helping to support the dignity that each person feels for themselves as well as for each other. Mm-hmm. Mm. I always get chills when you tell that story. It's so beautiful. Uh, and uh, just that small bit about him collapsing on the stairs, what I also hear is you never saw him as a victim, that you needed to rescue him from anything or you needed to fix him or needed to change anything about him. It, there's something so beautiful about that because you, even in his pain, you allowed him to be you allowed him to be with that and you accepted him mm -hmm. unconditionally for that Absolutely. without saying, I need you to get up uh, so, that you, so that I could feel better. Exactly. That's exactly right. Yeah. It wasn't about me. It wasn't about doing something that made me feel better or making me feel useful. It was about doing what he wanted and what he needed, attending to his desires, mm -hmm. you know. And yeah. And so that, what you said, is a, that was a perfect way of saying it. Um, I had a, a thought and it just left my mind. I wish I could remember. Um, it was related to what you were just highlighting in that story. Not um, seeing him as a victim. Or... Um, 
Well, I, yeah, I, I, I bring, uh, I bring, uh, this, I remember what I wanted to say. Um, I, I have a lot of very deep held spiritual beliefs. I'm not a religious person, but I'm very spiritual and, 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 um, I, a framework that I created for how to understand my relationship with my partner mm -hmm. was that we, we had a bigger purpose than in this terrestrial physical life mm -hmm. for why we met that I was there to help escort him out of this physical existence with dignity and with love, and he was there to help welcome me into my new life of being a gay man. And so it was almost like we had an understanding or an agreement that exceeded this physical realm that made sense for why we were drawn to each other. Wow. <laughs> I just keep saying wow over and over. So I, I just, I need to hear more about this. So how did you even was it after the fact that you realized that there was the spiritual divine reason you were together it, it, you were serving each other you were the, that was the role you were serving for each other or did it click when did you have that epiphany um i would say honestly it it, it was a little bit after it was after the fact it, it, i i would be lying if i said it was happening right in the moment okay um because you know i i'm a human and there was so much grief in other human emotions I was feeling at the time, you know, there was a huge loss, you know, my, the person who I thought was going to be the love of my life that I would spend my whole remainder of my life with, I suddenly had 10 months to prepare myself for his death, because that's how long it was between when I found out he was sick and when he died. And so I was very much caught up in having my human emotions. And so, but after he died, that's actually when I started getting involved in doing the support group work. You know, I wanted to give back and I wanted to, that, that was part of my journey of understanding and relating to people. And so I actually attended, back then it was called Seattle Area Support Groups and, uh, oh no, Seattle AIDS Support Groups. It was the original A in SSG. And I very briefly attended a, a grief group. And the, the grief group was useful for a very short period of time, but what I, noticed was a lot of the people in the grief group were kind of professional grievers and they had been there for like a really long time and I didn't want to be a victim I didn't that wasn't my mindset and and I I didn't need to be a professional griever and so I started taking French classes at the University of Washington Extension on the same night that I was going to the grief group but I I noticed that how much I enjoyed that idea of being a facilitator for that kind of a group. And so I reached out to SASG and I said, I'd really like to lead a group. And that's when I got involved in doing, and I've told you about this, uh, a shoulders group. And shoulders group is a group where you're, you're supporting the caregivers to the people who are terminally ill. Mm -hmm. And back then, this was all terminally ill people. It could be cancer, it could have been AIDS. And so um, these were the folks that were charged with being there to care for these folks that they knew they were going to lose. And so I did that for a couple of years early on. But that's when, I, that's when I started to get a lot of awarenesses was from that journey of going and giving back and hearing other people's stories and starting to make sense of what had happened to me. You know, that's, I think that's how life works. I don't, I don't think for most of us, like, wisdom hits us on the head like a rock. I think wisdom is something that evolves over time, you know. And, and, and the more time we have to reflect, the more we can step back and almost like akin to that seat of consciousness, yeah. step back and see the bigger picture and, and understand it in a different sort of way. Yeah. 
when when you you mentioned grief and i'm i'm very curious because um you know there's many gay men who have lost partners and they have those same beliefs this is the person i want to spend my life with that i see a future with and what i one of the things i appreciate about you is like when i met you your heart was just open and you're someone that just like exudes connection and you welcome connection and i i'm curious to know when you lost your partner how what was your grieving process like and what really allowed you to keep your heart open and uh, to move uh, it's almost it almost feels weird to say move on because right. you wouldn't move on but just allow yourself to remain open to love right. well there there was a couple of steps to that one was i i didn't i didn't try to avoid feeling my grief a lot of, I noticed, and this is something I noticed, not just back with my story, but just in general with, you know, the people I work with both professionally and in my support group is there's, there's a human tendency to want to avoid things that feel unpleasant or feel difficult. And I just wanted to allow myself to feel all of the emotions. In fact, the, the morning after his funeral, when I was I woke up for the first day all alone, and everything was done. All the hubbub of planning things was gone. Everybody had gone home, and I was on my own. And I and I remember being angry and just screaming out to the universe, like, "How could you do this to me?" You know, like so. I I experienced my anger. I, I experienced my frustration at what had happened. I experienced my this isn't fair. You know, all the typical human feelings that we have. But I just did that for the purposes of venting. You know, I didn't want it to be stuck inside of me. I wanted to clean it out. And I, I ultimately saw it as an opportunity for a rebirth for myself, you know. I, once I was able to vent all those feelings and to, to deal with and talk about how I was feeling, then I started to embrace my new possibilities, you know. And I actually, that's actually when I went back and got my master's degree in, in psychology was after that happened and that's when I started doing facilitating support groups and I started going out and exploring sexual interests that I'd had but I'd always been afraid to to explore you know because I you know that w there were certain things that like I said wasn't a particularly sexual relationship and so there were things that I would have loved to have explored but we didn't have an open relationship and he didn't have an interest in some of the things that I was interested in so you know I it, it became exciting I know that sounds strange but after the, the, the initial grief and the anger and the, and the, you know, life isn't fair feelings that lasted for a little while, um, it became fun to explore what I could be, like to open a new chapter. And, and it wasn't about forgetting him. I'll never forget him. I still think about him every day. And, you know, and I have so many beautiful memories of the time we spent together. But it was like, it, it was just this lovely, opening up of a, of a flower, you know, that I felt like, like all sorts of new possibilities existed for me. I love that. It's just touching and, um, you know, I love that you say it, it wasn't about avoiding, denying, suppressing. It was just about experiencing all of the emotions, letting them breathe through you, letting yeah. them flow through you, giving them life. Uh, like screaming and getting exactly. all that out of you. Yep, absolutely. Opening absolutely. yourself up to what's next. Yeah, letting letting yourself be raw and messy. Yeah. You know, give yourself permission to be human. Yeah. <laughs> because as humans, we are messy. I mean, you know, the truth is, you know, we try so hard to be perfect and put on these airs of perfection or 
togetherness, you know. But, you know, it's not the human condition, you know. We're, human beings are messy, and even the most evolved human beings are messy. That's why my favorite, like I mentioned Pema Chodron, who I really love her recordings, and, you know, she admits her own foibles and, you know, you know, she screws up even though she's a very spiritual person and, a, you know, yeah. so wise, and yet, you know, she, she admits the messiness of her own process. And, and, and I think that's so liberating to just accept that, you know, life is messy and we're humans and we're messy, but that doesn't mean we have to feel bad about it or feel shameful about it or apologize for it. it we learn from it. Yeah, that's huge. And I, I noticed that too with uh, just, you know, coaching a lot of gay men and having the, you know, leading the Namaste Summit. There's there's a lot of judgment for the judgments that that uh, that gay men have. It's like, I shouldn't feel this way. I'm judging myself for having this thought. I'm judging myself for feeling this way. And I'm sure you're nodding your head, so I'm sure you also recognize that in, in the peer group. Support. I call it the tyranny of the should. Ooh, say and, more about that. Well, should is such a charged word because should, should is loaded with expectations about the way things should be, you know, and and I always I always I think words are so powerful. And the semantical shift that I ask people to make is instead of saying should, I replace it with choose to. Mm. Instead of saying you know I I should try to lose weight, mm. you know, say you know I choose to lose weight or I choose not to lose weight. You know, that's that's empowering. You're making a choice about your life that's deliberate and you're owning it for yourself. Well, if I say I should lose weight, all that does is make me feel bad about myself. You know, it's like there's this external expectation that I'm not meeting. I'm letting some magical third party down by not doing it, you know? And, and so I just, I wish we could strike should and ought to from the English language, to be honest. I'm with you. I once heard that the word should is could with shame attached. So it becomes <laughs> That's perfect. That's should. perfect. That's perfect. <laughs> I just like... I like the idea of all of us, if we can all just own who we are and, and, and make it, empower ourselves to say, I choose to do some things, I choose not to do some things. That, that idea of choosing, you know, that we have the ability to make choices for ourselves is, I think, so empowering. And that's one of the things I like and hope that people take away from when they attend my, um, my support group or my professional clients when I'm doing my executive coaching is trying to help people feel more whole and complete and more in control of their lives. And, and that they're not victims, they're not leaves floating on the river of life and the river's taking them wherever it happens to go, but that they're making a choice to stick their paddles in the water and guide their boat where they want to go. Mm. So, if you were to, this has been like, we, when Scott and I get together, we're together for hours. <laughs> and I know we could keep going on and on. And um, I mean, I, this is likely the first of many, I'm sure, of episodes. Um, if you were to, maybe just uh, as we close things up, if you were to be in front of a gay man that truly feels like they don't have control, they feel like life is happening to them, uh, that they have really no power, nothing can really go their way, that uh, there's just, it's hard for them to have hope, especially when it comes to love and dating and feeling worthy of that. What would be maybe a lasting or final message that you would want to impart on 
that person? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I could probably give you a really long answer to it, but I think that the first and easiest and simplest starting point is to help them get reconnected to what is it that they want? You know, what, what is it that they, that they want to have? And it's not want in a physical way, it's how do they want to feel? And getting into that feeling place of how, how do they want to feel as a human being, as a gay man in this world? Because, it, you know, this gets into my metaphysical or spiritual beliefs, but the way that we create our reality and create our future is getting into a place of feeling as though I can, I can taste what it is that I want to have. Mm-hmm. Even, so it's, it's like going into the future and imagining that you already have what it is you want. And it, the delicious flavor of having what I want and holding on to that feeling, because that feeling, feelings are very powerful, and when we give our attention to something, it draws more of that into our reality. So if, if someone who's feeling very defeated and very out of control can spend time getting in the practice of that, paying attention to the, the feelings that they want to feel about, what do they, not what do they want to look like, or you know, what do they want you know, their boyfriend to look like, or what, but you know, what do they want their life to feel like? You know, what would make their life delightful to them? And it's all, it's all very much on getting them focused on thinking very positive things that start, that start the ball rolling. And it starts small, you know, there's the saying, how do you eat an elephant, one bite at a time. And so I would just take baby steps of helping people to get in touch with, because inside of us we all have hopes and dreams and, and things that we, we would love to experience. And instead of having those be pipe dreams, I try to help them turn them into real real dreams, and I also in this process try to help them to shift them from having expectations of what it has to look like to trusting that it'll show up in the way that it needs to show up. If I'm clear about how I want to feel and what I want my life to feel like, and I put that out to the universe, then the next, the hardest part of the process is the allowing, mm-hmm. is allowing things to show up because it may not look at all like what you expected. You know, if you're bemoaning that you don't have a boyfriend and, you know, but you've got all these expectations that he has to look just this certain way, you know, he has to be five foot ten and he has to, you know, all these things. You know, that's a needle in a haystack. If you're open to whatever life delivers to you, you might meet somebody that might not share any of those physical attributes, but back to my partner, they're the exact perfect person that would fulfill that feeling that you want to have. But it, it requires you being open. It requires you to be allowing of things coming into your life and not judging them and just experiencing them. Being, that's, that's why I tie it back to inquisitiveness. When something shows up in my life, I want to understand, you know, what's this about? Who is this person? You know, it, it, it's all about that inquiry because through that inquiry, I find out, wow, I never would have realized that I could be so happy or so fulfilled with what I found because it didn't match any of those expectations that I had. Yeah, I, it's powerful. And I uh, sometimes when I've asked people, what do you want to feel? They'll just say, well, I just want to feel better. Or I, I just, I know what I don't want to feel. I don't want to feel lonely. And the word better 
is a judgment of the past. So you're still carrying yes, the past exactly. in the, the future that you want to create, which holds you back. Just like if you say what you don't want to feel, you're bringing in that negative, what absolutely, you don't want. Absolutely. Uh, so like really, this is something, listeners, that you could really practice right now. What do you want to feel more than anything, what do you want to feel in a relationship? Is it belonging? Is it uh, is it unconditional positive regard? Yeah, yeah. Is it acceptance? Is it understanding? Is well, it all the above? And what would your life feel like? You know, mm-hmm. when I wake up in the morning, I want to be filled with joy and contentment. I want to feel safe and I want to feel loved. I want to, you know, it's it's just it's that feeling. It's not the it's not the um, trappings of the physical. Mm-hmm. It's not that I need to have, you know, my um, solid teak dining table and my uh, you know my hot tub and my sling in the bedroom <laughs> not that those are bad things but but it's you know you know I, I don't like people get away with saying I want to feel better I mean that's a non-starter for me <laughs> and same thing with the negative like it's so easy for people to know what they don't want I mean that is just like the easiest thing in the world for people to know what they don't want. So I've played devil's advocate and say, well, what would the opposite side of that coin look like? Mm-hmm. If you're clear that that's what you don't want, then turn that coin over and what would that be in terms of what you do want? Mm-hmm. And that works oftentimes very well. Yeah, I love it. The, the blending of what do you really want to feel and the allowance of it, allowing yourself to, to feel that way. Um, what would you say if someone... Uh, that has trouble with that if they want to they know what they want to feel but they're like i just part of me doesn't really know how to allow that into my life you know i feel like this is Mm -hmm. a this is a big one that a little bit more of the subconscious Mm -hmm. stuff i'm curious what your thought is about that well i I think i think that's where it comes in so that and this doesn't i don't intend for this to sound like a shameless plug but that's why a group like my emotional support group can be so powerful because relating to other men and realizing that they're struggling with the same things that you are and that you're not alone and that that there's there's the possibility to to cross-pollinate ideas that you people we can help one another to figure out how to get beyond that that sticking point of knowing how to embrace what i want and and so that's that would be my answer beautiful that's beautiful the journey doesn't have to be alone and there are men out there, there are groups out there that are designed for this. So it, it, if you'd like to share, if, if anyone would like to connect with you or, or find out more about the groups you lead, would you be willing to maybe just share where they could? Sure, absolutely. Um, the, the, where I conduct my support group, and as um, Frank mentioned, it's called the Gay Male Sexuality and Relationship Support Group, and it's at a facility or an organization called Peer Seattle. It's located on Capitol Hill between Pike and Pine on Bellevue. And um, it's a drop-in group, but I always have people contact me. People need to have an intake, as it were, <laughs> conversation with me because I want to make sure they really understand the purpose of the group and the spirit of the group, you know, and to try to weed out people that are thinking it's a dating service or uh, whatever. Yeah. But, uh, but no, I'd, I'd be happy to have people check it out. And they can look at the Pure Seattle website and they can see information about not only my group, but all the other different groups there. And they should probably know, Pure Seattle is, in, by and large, it has a lot of groups focused on people in recovery, just to be really clear. Mm-hmm. Mine is not a recovery group. A lot of the guys in my group are mm-hmm. in recovery also, but that's not the point of the group. Mm-hmm. So this is not a 12-step group. This is just a pure emotional support group. Beautiful. Well, Scott, 
already. <laughs> 45 minutes has flown by and we could keep going. I think this is a good place to wrap up this episode though. And I just want to acknowledge you. I, I really appreciate uh, not just your lighthearted, playful, funny side. I mean, I, I'm always cracking up when I'm with you and appreciate how you could talk about such heavy, serious things with a sense of humor and a sense of like just playfulness about it. And it's just very refreshing. And uh, I think your ability to reflect and to observe and to really wear this lifelong learner hat is uh, such a beautiful thing and something that uh, I think our our gay listeners that are looking for some of that wisdom will really appreciate. So thank you for doing the work you do and the hundreds, the thousands of lives that you've been able to transform. Well, thank you for inviting me to participate. Um, I've not done a blog before, so this is a first. Now I'm not a blog virgin. but uh, Popped your podcast, Jerry. Yeah, yeah. You did, and it felt really good. So, no, really, thank you for inviting me to do it. It was, it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it, and I look forward to doing more in the future. Awesome. Listeners, thanks for tuning in, and remember, he's on his way. If you liked this podcast and you want to take your growth and transformation to the next level, I want to share with you my brand new podcast called Life Coaching Secrets. It's where you will learn the exact tools I use to become confident, attract quality men, and even create a successful business. Head over to the Life Coaching Secrets podcast to get started. I'll see you there.